Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and this is now our 101st episode. We, we actually clicked over last week, and I forgot to mention it during the episode, but that was number 100. So uh, it was great to have Arthur back on the show again, and kind of back talking about the state of the restaurant industry again, and we've been talking about this a lot over the last several months. You might want to revisit some of those interviews that we've done uh, with, uh, with Souther Teague and such that we talked about kind of what's happening in the industry, but... Today, we're talking about what can be done and what you can do to help right the ship, if that is possible. But it's certainly um, worth trying if you enjoy eating or drinking or going anywhere but your own basement. So today on the show, uh, I've got my friend Eric Mersch uh, from Chicago with Back Bar Project. Um, I don't know what else you do, really, honestly. (laughs) That's how I know you, Eric. That, That pretty much takes up most of my time. And we've got Kimberly Klinger, who's got a resume that's like amazing, and a lot of uh, a lot of really cool connections. Originally from DC, now in Chicago, but most importantly, they're on the show today um, to talk about the Thirst Group. Um, and with that, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Thanks, so, I'm happy to be here. You know, usually, well, not usually. It's been a little while, and I've kind of gotten out of the habit of it. We'd always start the podcast off with like, hey, what did you guys drink last night? But we've kind of gotten away from that. But Eric has notes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to follow the outline. Like Eric's going to take over the show. Um, yeah, I mean, you're out of a job, dude. <laughs> I know. He's way better prepared than I am. Um, Ed, you know what? I've just, I've listened before. I like the style and I'm just trying to stay on brand. Man, no. You know? I dig that because like you knew exactly what we usually do, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, we do do that." <laughs> uh, what did you drink last night, Eric? Uh, I actually had a little celebratory um, Eagle Rare on the rocks, uh, cast strength from a friend of mine's Barrel Select. Very nice, yeah, Kimberly. Uh, I had a a nice cold Victoria at the end of my shift. Ah, worked last night. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm at La Josie in the West Loop in Chicago. Um, and, uh, the kind of nice thing about the, the early closure for bars and restaurants is that you're not, you know, having that beer at three in the morning. So right. I had that midnight Victoria, man. It was great. Yeah. We're the, the only downside and not the only, but one of the downsides is that we're like starting to get a little bit of traction again at our Tiki bar at the Inferno room. And that midnight closure is just killing us. You know, it's like you have to tell 60 people that are all equally spaced. I mean, we have a lot of room in there. We have 5,000 square feet. We're like, all right, everybody. You got to go. Thank you. Yeah. It was cool. But uh, we can't make money tonight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, that was selfish of me to say that, you know, we, it's nice to have that. Early no, it is cool. Home in the middle of the night. But I got home on Sunday when daylight was still like in existence. I'm like, oh, my God, it's still this is amazing. I wanted to run outside and play. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah. um, I, I want to get kicked into this because I really think this is going to be an important episode and it, it is important for listeners whether they're in the in, in, <laughs> whether they're in the industry or outside of the industry uh understanding what's going on but not only what's going on but um kind of what we've been through and how we might see a way out of that so um Kimberly I know you've been working on this project for quite a while do you want to give us kind of like a, a short rundown of like um what Thirst is, is attempting to do, and then maybe I guess we'll get into the, the insurance side of that. Yeah, yeah. So um, we Thirst Group has recently um, been confirmed as a 501-6C um, nonprofit legislation group. That's very official, right? But we're an all-volunteer force 
of industry professionals. Um, and what we're trying to do very, very simply is fight for business interruption insurance. So we'll talk mm -hmm. more about what that means, right? And what that looks like, but we're organizing state by state and then district by district to do this. So, um, what we want to do is try to amplify the voices of small bar and restaurant owners and workers. Um, you know, I, I'm sure your listeners and, and you already know, right, that like the big owners definitely did have a bit more of a voice when the pandemic started, right? Um, people, uh, you know, chain owners and, and mm -hmm. more famous, you know, and even if they're not, you know, uh, big owners, but like more famous chefs have been talking about, you know, the devastation that could happen to our industry uh, because of what's happening with the pandemic. Um, and that's that's great. Um, but I think a lot of independent voices got left out. Yeah. Um, and so what we're trying to do is advocate for them. And a big way we're doing that, obviously, is to fight for insurance coverage, which had been denied to us. Um, so the insurance industry, obviously, is enormous and has a lot of power and they have a big voice and um, a lot of sway when it comes to governmental policies. Um, but we policyholders, right? And I'm not an owner, but like, you know, the, the owners who are policyholders um, are, are kind of left holding the bag here. Yeah. Um, their, their claims have been denied if they filed them at all. So mm -hmm. what we're trying to, and we'll get, we'll get into that in a second, but what we're trying to do is say, okay, look, we're going to get people in, you know, as many states as we possibly can. Uh, we don't have everything yet. We're working on it. Uh, but to get people in, in each state uh, to organize in their own particular community, in their district, um, to rally troops, to get behind this cause, and then eventually to have meetings with legislators, right? And talk about how we can find solutions to help compel the insurance industry to pay these claims. So it's very sort of simple grassroots, um, you know, advocacy that, that's done on a bit of a smaller level, but we think that with all of our voices combined, it can be very powerful. Well, so certainly it's growing quickly. And when I first heard about it, I, I think I told Eric a few weeks ago, or both of you actually, when we spoke, that I kind of just brushed past it thinking, oh, here's another organization that's like, we need to help independent restaurants. Because mm -hmm. like, like you said, yes, we didn't have a voice in the beginning. As much as I love Thomas Keller and all that, you know, Daniel Balut and Thomas Keller haven't mm -hmm. been in my shoes for a really fucking long time. And that's so right. for us to kind of reset that and figure out how do we get a voice and it seems like a really mundane aspect of this whole situation to attack it from, right? Like it's the most boring aspect of what we do, but it is yeah. one of the ones that saves our asses. A lot of times, you know, if something crashes, you know, we, we rely on our insurance, just like your car or your house. And it's something that I think most people don't really think about there being business insurance. Like you said, yeah, absolutely. I, as an owner, when I first opened my, uh, my first place, I didn't even think about it at all. Like, Oh, yeah, I probably need insurance. Like I have stuff mm -hmm. and like what happens. And then, you know, they came right. with like a 800 page booklet of like, here's your coverage. And it's, it's hard to disseminate that information. Right. Um, and you have, not only do you have property insurance, but you have liability insurance here too. Right. right. Because you have workers, you have guests, you have food, you have booze, you have a property, you have fixtures. There's so much that goes into mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So Eric, we, do you want to talk about the kind of one of the big important points about this uh, movement is the business interruption um, aspect of the insurance, because that's where I think this really, this is the important part that I think people don't realize that could have, that could, this could potentially rescue the industry. Uh, de definitely. It's going to bring a lot more to the table than just kind of a shot glass when you're trying to empty out the flooding boat right now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and just to kind of touch on a few gaps uh, of what we've just previously discussed, like the biggest thing with like, 
the big insurance legislators with Thomas Keller's group and all the bigger name chefs, they have access to capital. A lot of mm-hmm. our smaller proprietorships don't. Um, and that's where the biggest issue comes in. And we at Thirst, what we're trying to do is because legislation on the insurance level isn't mandated or managed on a national level. It's all done at the state level. We're trying to get enough states turned over to see the issue and to see that this is a way that we could actually help out a trillion dollar industry that hopefully after enough states sign up and change that legislation, it'll kind of create a domino effect for the entire nation. Um, And so to kind of discuss what business interruption insurance is, that's just your standard. Okay, if you have a fire, if there is a um, tornado, if there's a hurricane and there's something that causes your business to stop producing revenue, it acts as a fail safe or a safety net for you. However, after SARS in 2003, there was kind of this pandemic clause. Sometimes it was ambiguous. Um, sometimes they put it in and didn't even tell you that your rates were going to go up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of left to the policyholder to figure out, um, which we kind of get that. Some people uh, made the comparison that it's, you know, oh, the flu season was super heavy this year sales were down. Yeah, it's not going to cover anything like that. The issue that we're finding, though, is that in most states currently, the government stepped in and they triggered what's known as civil authority or civil action, which although there is no physical damage done to that business, the government deemed it unsafe for the public health. At the same time, they've not given them any other options to, you know, reduce their fixed cost, whether it be rent, whether it be utilities, whether it be their cost of goods. And a lot of places after phase three or four of reopening, they're operating at double the labor cost and only about a quarter of the revenue. That's not sustainable. That's almost exactly the numbers that we're seeing in our restaurants. And, you know, and even if we're hitting the quarter mark and yeah, this is also unprecedented. Like you said, it was, you know, a clause in there since 03 that you don't think about until we get into the middle of it. And yeah, we reached out to our agents and we're like, hey, and, you know, they immediately pointed out like, well, no, you're not covered. And, you know, and to elaborate on what you're talking about, the business interruption, I mean, it's not just, you know, taking care of a few days that you were closed or whatever. I mean, this helps you with fixed cost. But one of those fixed costs is also salaries um, of people working there and ourselves. And so... And we have been able to use this insurance in other cases when the city accidentally dug through, you know, a, an electrical wire or something like that shuts us down for three or four days. You know, that's I'm sure they're happy to well, not happy, but they're more more willing to work with you on that. When this you have literally the whole country filing or maybe not even at the same time. I was going to ask you if you filed at all. <clears throat> so we didn't. So yeah. my um, my insurance agent actually is a restaurateur as well. And so we called him and he was like, yeah, man, no, it's, there's no reason to even bother. And I know that one one of our neighbors actually filed a lawsuit against their carrier, uh, not the agent, but against their carrier. We don't, I think that they were anticipating this thirst movement kind of happening. It was, it was much before, but you know, I think they were a lot more forward looking. Um, But again, it's, it's not gone anywhere. We're, and like you said, we were told to stop. Like we yeah. were forced to close. We did this with the uh, trust that somebody would have our back. And now that we're reopening, we don't and no one does. And we're operating at, you know, a fifth to a quarter of our uh, 
you know, normal revenue with, you know, double the labor. I know a lot, all of us are on kind of on the ground floor and as far as, or on the front lines and dealing with this. And it's, those numbers aren't fake, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's why I've been doing episodes like this over and over and over because I'm seeing a lot of people out there just kind of ignoring the elephant in the room because it's embarrassing to say, hey, we're not doing well and we may not make it another two months. And nobody wants to be the restaurant owner that looks like they're running kind of a shoddy operation that's, you know, with such slim margins. And I've kind of been forcing myself to do that because it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't feel yeah. good to tell anybody you're like, hey, we don't know. We don't know on a month to month basis if we're going to make it out of this. Um, but if we all sit on our hands, um, it, it won't matter. There won't be anything left. Exactly. And that, that's kind of the point is, you know, um, I, I was in the hospitality field for over 12 years. I still am. You know, we, we live and die on the on-premise. Um, I love gathering. I love meeting other people. That's where, you know, life happens. Um, but what we're seeing is that I feel like a lot of the legislation right now that's mm-hmm. put in place kind of forgets the whole supply chain that, you know, your favorite wine producer from California that might be related to your cousin. If their local bar at the corner goes out of business, well, that's an account that could mm-hmm. make up X amount of the revenue that they don't see, you know, what about your cousin that's in the distribution business? What about your, the local farmer that supplies all the local restaurants? 90% or up to right. of a restaurant's revenue goes elsewhere. It's to landlords, it's to all of these other supply chains. So we're looking at a bigger issue here and it starts with taking action. Um, and with this group thirst, we are just taking the biggest step forward that we know how to and try to organize as many people to be mobile, to give up and lend their voice um, so that we can start engaging legislation at the state level so they could see this and then they could put into place bills and acts that could actually fix this situation that we're currently in. Having mentioned that this is there's a clause within um, most people's insurance that does not permit us to file business stoppage claims uh, during a pandemic. So since that clause is out there, and like you said, it's been out there since 03, when hell, a lot of us were probably barely in the business for myself, and you were probably too young mm-hmm. to be in the business, Eric. But, um, you know, it's since it was something that we didn't even think about, you know, and when, at the time that we signed these policies, um, not to mention, it wasn't like we had a choice. We couldn't say, well, I refuse to sign this policy yeah. unless you make sure I'm covered in case of a right. pandemic. But since we're all kind of in that boat and we've all signed these policies that say, we aren't covered. What can we do about that now? Well, not every policy has that sort of like sure. no pandemic clause in it, just FYI. I mean, that's sure. out there for sure, uh, but it's not every single one. What we're seeing is like ambiguous mm. language, right? And we're seeing um, sort of people not following through on, um, you know, like things that are kind of inherent in the policy that could be triggered. Right. And instead, kind of like hiding behind some of this language. Um, So what we're asking legislators to do in some cases, right, is just to kind of make things explicit. You know, there's there's really no reason that like a civil authority clause shouldn't have been triggered or civil commotion um, or civil action. There's a few different kind of ways in which this works. Um, So, yeah. So even even with, you know, you know, I can't speak to too, too much of the. the the really minute details of the policies, but we are seeing wiggle room and we want to compel the industry to go ahead and act in a good faith manner and, and realize that they're sitting on more reserves. 
that like they have the reserves to pay these claims out. Versus- and, and my background is not in law. So there, there is a term or a position that, um, you know, you actually hire somebody to watch your lawyer yeah. in court to make sure they're doing a good job basically. Well, and with independent and sole proprietorships, you usually don't have the power or the leverage like a larger company would with a team of lawyers to actually figure out these loopholes. And the professionals that we're working with at Thirst Group are trying to offer their assistance to actually be able to negotiate those gray areas to make sure that you get taken care of as that owner of that business. And yeah, we do have policy experts. Don't worry. And through the research, they're finding that, you know, the insurance policy or uh, the insurance, I guess, groups are sitting on a reserve of upwards of what, $4 billion or something like that? Oh, no, no, no. We're talking like, we're talking way more. Oh, like than eight. That. Yeah. Sorry. Like, and then, you know, even if we were to pay out all of these claims, it would only be like 3.5. So they'd still have plenty, plenty left over. Right. And that's an important thing to note is that, you know, I think that a lot of people out there, especially those, listeners that are outside of the restaurant and hospitality industry can make draw that parallel with your car insurance, right? I mean, how many times have we bitched about paying, you know, $800 a month for a car that you've never had an accident in 10 years? And, you know, and here's this, I mean, our insurance, we're paying, you know, four or $5,000 a month, like a month for these policies. And, you know, when we need when to file a claim for $100,000, $150,000 of missing revenue, um, yeah, they're kind of disappearing into the woodwork. And you're right. There isn't a voice because we're a kind of disconnected collective, right? We're not a collective. Exactly. Right. Independents work independently and we're working so much that forming a coalition is very difficult because, you know, I'm working 12 hours a day. I got to keep the doors open. So, you know, that's why. Yeah. And, like you, and you're still paying that insurance, right? You paid that insurance even when you were shut down, didn't you? Oh, my God. I don't know if we got. Or you tried? Yeah. Did we get into this? Yeah. They they thought yeah. they were doing me a friendly thing and stopped um, auto drafting my insurance so that we could stay afloat during coronavirus. Mm. And then when the kind of um, phase one of the reopening started, they canceled my insurance. I got di- I cancellation letters at all my restaurants. Um, no liquor liability. Any of those things that you know. I don't think people realize we pay effectively an insurance policy against you getting drunk and going and do something stupid and then suing us. That's right. Um, and so we were paying all those things, uh, or we were supposed to have been, and then they called and said, hey, you're canceled. You're no longer covered. I said, what the hell? And they said, oh, well, we, yeah. we stopped drafting it back in March so that you'd have money in the bank. I'm like, yeah, but, but you're taking it now all at once. Like, I can't yeah. write you a $30,000 check. Are you insane? You know? And that, that number, right? Like, that, people need to know that as well. Like, you know, a lot of times we don't talk about um, the, the nuts and bolts of doing business, right? We don't, we don't pass along like how much we're making and how much we're spending. And that's fine. Like I get that, but like people should know that these, these policies cost a lot of money right. year to year. We are talking tens of thousands of dollars and it's important, right? And the more alcohol you sell, the higher it is. Yeah. And, it, and it's important because you want to protect your guests. You want to protect uh, your workers, right? You want to, you want to protect everybody that, that can be safe in your establishment. We value that. Why don't they seem to be valuing right. us now? Right. And, and I don't know, I, I might be jumping the gun here, but that makes me want to kind of talk about why people should care about this, right? Like, why should we care about saving independent bars and restaurants? There's a million reasons, right? What? There's a million, million reasons, but some of them are, you know, purely economic, but even in that like kind of pure base economic rational, like, you know, reasoning, 
there's a lot of huge like human costs mm-hmm. that come with that. And that's that's what I think we're thinking about at Thirst Group. Absolutely. Well, and like uh, the National Restaurant Association came out and they estimate that 85% of sole proprietorships could possibly close by January of 2021. And in a recent article from the Chicago Trib, they're saying that out of the 4,200 small businesses that close within the Chicagoland area, only 2,400 mm-hmm. are going to reopen. And it's just like, if, if yep. you're in the insurance policy and you're banking on all this capital that you've taken from these small businesses and you're not then paying out if they go under well then what happens to your revenue stream right exactly exactly and so some other numbers have come out from yelp and i'm sure we all have thoughts on yelp but we'll (laughs) leave that for another time um (laughs) no they're great no but they've they've got some good data actually and what they're saying is that there were uh i'm reading this from an abc news article twenty six thousand one hundred and sixty total restaurant closures on yelp as of July 10th, and 15,770 of those are permanent. Wow. That's insane. And that's just, you know, that's a, that's, that's probably not like the world's best data set, right? But like, that's a, that's a resource that people know, right? People list their business on Yelp because they want to get that, um, they want eyes, right, on those pages. To see those numbers, that's, that's stark, right? And that's not even everything. Like, we're talking, there's gonna, there are going to be more. Well, there's like a couple of factors at play there on that, right? So like we, a lot of us, we, we've borrowed money and effectively with the government, you know, they set up these PPP uh, loans, which we talked mm. about with Southern Teague. Um, effectively, it was a, a the paycheck protection program so that we would have money in our pocket. Then we were dictated to spend it on payroll. But now we're coming in at this where we don't need the people. So we're kind of wasting money. Uh, they've now since amended it a little bit, just giving you longer to spend it, but it still needs to be all spent. Um, and then it can potentially be forgiven. But the issue that we're all in now, or the situation is that um, that's coming due, right? Like we're coming to the end of that money. It's That's been out there since June now. And they weren't huge numbers in the first place because they were based on your payroll figures. Uh, and so now that we're heading into the fall, those dollars are disappearing out of bank accounts. So mm-hmm. anything, any sort of perceived safety net that you had is, has quickly disappeared because we're still not through this. And on this top of that, um, you know, a lot of states, us included, are dictating, you know, um, patio usage, outdoor seating. And especially you guys and myself as well in the Midwest, you know, that's going to stop in a month and a half at, at best case scenario. Winter is coming. Um, we might. Yes, it right. is. And so we've got flu season, we've got limited seating, um, and potential, you know, depletion of funding in the bank. And so I, I said that from the beginning, and I know I got called the Grim Reaper a bunch of times, but, you know, I said that all that we're doing is deferring closures from June to December. And so, you know, in a market like ours, in a market versus Chicago, well, you're from D.C. As, as well, right, Kimberly? Yeah, so I actually, I'm from Pittsburgh, if I can give a shout out, but I lived in D.C. for about like 18 years, so yeah. Okay, that's enough to say from. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. No, 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 we love Pittsburgh. I yeah. love Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a great town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, again, it's been talked about, and I, I think it's worth nailing this point home, right? It's like Indianapolis is not Chicago, we're not San Francisco, and we're not New York. Those cities are going to lose a ton of restaurants, but at the end of the day, what comes out the other end, a lot of people, if you're not paying attention, you'll be like, oh, that sucks that the little bodega closed near my house, but, or, you know, or the little restaurant I go to to get tacos. But in a scene much smaller, which I know DC has kind of grown like in leaps and bounds over the last five years, but it is still very small and everybody knows each other. When you knock out, you know, 
seven craft cocktail bars out of the Chicago scene. It's noticed and it's felt. But if you do that in DC or Indy, that's it. That's the scene, right? Like we're done. And so what's left is the uh, chains or mm-hmm. the kind of yeah. Uber, Uber fine dining. Yeah, we don't want that. I mean, look, well, I'm going to let Merce talk on that for for a second. But before he does, I want to say that um, that speaks to like the sort of cascading economic and community effects that will happen if our industry basically implodes. Right. Um, so we're talking about layoffs. Right. And then what happens to folks who can't be reabsorbed into the economy? You know, if you've been working in this industry and maybe you haven't been cross-trained anywhere else, um, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Right. Um, you don't have purchasing power. You don't have sales tax revenue coming into your community. So you're going to have fewer people starting other businesses, right? Other businesses being supported, smaller municipal budgets, removing you know resources and stabilities for communities, especially communities of color, right? Or communities that don't already have a lot of resources going into it. This is not just, oh no, my watering hole closed. Where do I go, right? This is much bigger than that. We're talking about like, the, like I said, like the jobs and the stability of so many communities the vibrancy of neighborhoods, right? And again, talking about like sort of gentrification and other issues is a different a different story, right? But we know that this industry is a home for a lot of people, you know, skilled workers, right? I don't want to call this unskilled work. This is this is skilled labor. These are people who work really, really hard. Sometimes folks get chances in our industry that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I came to hospitality. I landed here out of academia. We can have a whole other right. thing you, on you're, that you're too. You're a PhD, right? I do. I even, yeah, so- yeah. I love talking. I love playing that game in our restaurants, like comparing our educations, because <laughs> yeah. I, I, you've, you've never worked with a more educated group of people than you have in a bar or restaurant. Right. You know, and it's always the most fun because we chose to be here. We chose to be here because we liked it, That's right. not because, you know, the assumption is always that we were the losers that couldn't get no. a job elsewhere. Yeah. And it's usually the exact opposite. We're right. like, no, we're the losers that didn't want to work eight to five. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't want to get paid adjunct professor wages. Right. You no. Know? Like right. what the no, and again we'll we'll leave that here. But but, but, but so, you know talking but, about Chicago, yeah. you know I mentioned it, and I'm not like saying oh it won't be a big deal in Chicago. That didn't mean that. Uh, no, we, but, we get you know it. there's a, there is that ripple down effect as well, right? Yeah. So like food service is a huge chunk of um, the GDP in the United States, but in, on top of that you've got um, all the surrounding and kind of ancillary businesses right. that come with it, but tourism as well, right? So like right. Chicago. Uh, we addressed this in, in with Southern in New York, you know, that he's, you know, a lot of guests come to his bar because they have specifically come to New York to go to his bar. And so with places like Alinea, you know, uh, people travel to Chicago to go to Alinea uh, and, you know, any number of bars. And so th- how does that affect the tourism oh, I mean, industry it's, it's as well? Massive. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, no, you're s- right. some recent figures like one in four unemployed during the pandemic have all worked in food and beverage. Um, and over half of these are minorities. I mean, that's crazy. Um, and then when you start looking at what the hotel industry, and that's just the hotel industry, uh, they account for one in every 25 jobs. So 2.3 wow. million jobs and $660 billion to the US GDP. I mean, that's massive. But like, what I get frustrated with is you have these airline companies that all of a sudden mismanage their funds, run a horrible business and say, oh, we need a bailout. And what do they do with the bailout money? They reinvest in their stocks, not people, not better business structures. And then it's like a sugar high for their investors. And then everything's fine. But you have this amazing group of talented, educated, hardworking people that is the food and tourism sector of the U.S. that allows you to 
pay for college that allows you new opportunities that you you wouldn't have before that's getting overlooked currently right now and that's what i'm frustrated about which is what caused me to sign up with thirst group to see if i could actually try and do something about it so you know the first step is let's try and lobby our state legislator for insurance for the immediate cause of relief and then we'll get to the bigger issue when you know we get there so there is a giant team in the organization like you said that's you know kind of acting as the corporate lawyers the corporate you know entity so there is a head of the beast um kind of feeling um but um what kind of traction has there been i know it's it's a very new um not-for-profit um situation the, the whole organization i mean again four months ago who knew we even needed you know relief from a pandemic or five months ago i guess yeah <laughs> Well, so yeah. I, I do got to give a shout out to uh, Nate Whitehouse. Um, he's the gentleman that actually oh, yeah. contacted me and he was uh, working, I think, with Josh Morton at the beginning of this whole thing. And he was just fielding a lot of questions um, from business owners. You know, uh, he's kind of in the same role that I do for a different company. Um, we used to work together and, you know, people just don't know what to do and his background is in law. And um, he got kind of overwhelmed with all of these inquiries and decided to do something about it. And now we're here. So Kim, I think how many yeah. states are we in currently? I actually, if I can rattle them off really quickly, yeah. I will tell you right now, New York, Texas, California, Illinois, Colorado, Arizona, Massachusetts, Florida, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Washington, the district of Columbia as well. And Michigan. So that's nice. like a lot of really big major markets. Is it enough at the moment to move the dial? Um, you know, as far as I know that the, the people kind of the states coming on board is growing. But while that's happening, you know, kind of what's what's happening to move the needle to, to garner attention to this issue? Yeah, um, there is some movement on legislation in New York and California, if I'm correct. Uh, mm -hmm. Marsh. There are two bills in New York uh, that are already up. And what we're trying to do also is sort of like a little copy paste action. Right. So taking mm -hmm. that and saying, look, we can do this, right? There's There are bills out there. Can you do something similar? But New York and California uh, right now are seeing the most movement. So it really, it starts on the state level. Mm -hmm. There is an end goal, I presume, to get this in front of the in front of Congress on a national level. Um, and how does that, how are the states working with one another? Um, are the communication amongst you guys that are helping to organize this on your own free time, you know, at the moment, I, and you know, Marsh, you can, you can fill in if I'm missing anything here, but I, you know, as far as like a, a national federal response, um, mm -hmm. that's not quite where we're at yet. We, because insurance right. is regulated on the state level, right. We are attacking mm -hmm. it there. Right. Um, mm -hmm. to get it to that next level, there is advocacy happening at those larger federal levels, right? There are, um, you know, plaintiffs lawsuits, right? Um, there's, um, sort of like federal Congress advocacy, like from those large chefs, like Thomas Keller, things like that, that are happening. But what thirst is focused on, um, is that state by state level, because that's the way the insurance companies kind of work. Um, so we, we've, yeah. I want you to think of that state by state level is like, we're trying to get to the tipping point sooner than later. So while we do have advocacy right. at the national level, the more people we get involved on the state level and overturn each state, the more ammunition, the more weight we will actually hold to get this done a lot more quickly. Um, exactly. And, We're kind of keeping it sort of grassroots, uh, right? Going from the bottom yep. up. And then on the national level, we are keeping a pretty keen eye. There's a, a test case actually going on in the High Court of Justice in the UK against eight prominent insurance companies um, dealing with 
the shutdown. Um, and so we're keeping an eye on that because that could also lend to some ammunition for what we do here in the U.S. as well. And I don't think anybody's out there on the insurance company side again. But, you know, let's again, we, we can't forget that, like, you know, 90 percent of the funds that we bring into a restaurant don't stay in the restaurant. You know, they go out to these giant companies like that. So, like you said, there are cash reserves to do that. So as we're approaching the tipping point, the states are on board, on board, on board. Do you think that there is a point at which even those uh, policies that did not have a clause or I'm sorry, that did have a clause um, that prevented you know, us from filing against the pandemic. You know, they've got that clause thrown in there, and even may, with ambiguity or or not, um, where it becomes kind of a sweeping um, kind of change across the board on policies, and we might even see uh, insurance companies go back and revisit how they deal with those claims, even if they had that written in that said you were. Um, you know, prevented from filing against that. We, that's that's yeah. what we're hoping. And we're telling, we are telling people, we'll tell you all <laughs> right now, right? To go ahead and file your claim if you haven't filed it before so that there can be an appeal so that you are on the books. Um, and that if these, um, these legis- you know, these pieces of legislation can compel the industry to make explicit what was implicit and go ahead and trigger uh, these business interruption clauses that everybody can get on board with that. Um, as far as, you know, the, um, so you're recommending everybody do that right now. I think that's absolutely. Yeah, that point. Absolutely. Home, we are right. Yeah. For sure. Anybody listening, yes. if you haven't filed, file it. Yeah. Even if you know for sure that they're going to say no. And that was the mistake I made the beginning until I saw the kind of the traction that was um, happening out there. Mm-hmm. It was like, even, even though they said no, all they can do is just say no again. Uh, that's exactly right. At least right. it's on the books. Right. And, you, you know, and as far as like filing an appeal or doing anything else, you know, we understand that that does take um, more time and more resources and that becomes a legal matter. And we're not advocating that you take it there. Right. We just want you to have that kind of sure. denial on the books so that hopefully these things can be um, can be renegotiated. Now, obviously, like, you know, you can't uh, change a contract fully. Right. Once it's there, you right. can't go back and change it. We know that but what we're saying is we think the language is vague enough. We think that these um, civil authority clauses should have been triggered. Um, you know, they're kind of hiding behind also like no physical damage, right? Well, can, we right. can argue that that is physical damage, right? That like a virus, mm-hmm. we're talking like about a physical threat, right? Like the virus tr- is transmitted, um, you know, from person to person and perhaps even on surfaces because, you know, we are cleaning like maniacs anymore. Not that we didn't before, but we're really, you know, we're really going for it to keep people safe. Um, so that, Which again, that's is just another cost that we're now right. exactly. You know, exactly as right. we talked about the, the you know exactly double right. our payroll. Yeah. Now we all have to have. Well, we uh, I don't know if anybody. Um, surely, a lot of our listeners out there know at least how hard it was to get sanitizer for, there for a while. Yeah. But maybe what they don't realize is that as phase one um, started in all these states, and every single state legislated said, you know, you have to have sanitizing stations, you have to have disposables, all these things. And there was a run on it, just like there was a sanitizer in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get the stands. Right. You were overpaying. There was price gouging. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's profiteering. I can't tell you how many times a day I get, you know, hit up like, we'll do clean on your restaurant or we're selling mm-hmm. you gloves or sanitizers. Like, yeah, it's, all, it's a whole new, yeah, but it's a whole new racket, right? And yeah, and it's, it's huge mm-hmm. costs. And, um, you know, back to uh, thinking about the, um, you know, will, will people get paid out even if there's a pandemic clause? Okay, cool, right? Fine, you're saying no pandemic. But what? But again, what about civil authority? What about the fact that your governor shut you down? 
it doesn't, it shouldn't matter, right? At that point, yeah, that should be triggered and that business interruption insurance should be put into place. That's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for people to actually follow through on the ways in which these policies should have been paid out and not hide behind some other like, well, but it's not this, but it's not that. No, I mean, there's, there's no denying, right? That our, our businesses were shut down through larger government authorities, point blank payoff. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't have a choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we would know that we were in this boat. So, I mean, th- they didn't want us to, right? Like if they left it to us, a lot of people would ignore the mandate and just have stayed yeah. open. If we knew that we were going to come to a situation four months later where we were facing bankruptcy and then those, you know, the, the curve wouldn't have flattened whatsoever, you know, it, we would all be dead. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the insurance companies do have to bear some responsibility for that. And certainly the States do. And, and so, with, you know, the civil authority mm-hmm. being enacted. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you didn't get the point, file the claim. Step one, step number one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then if, if you don't specifically own, but you're an avid supporter of your local watering hole, your friends that are in the industry, um, we need your voice. Uh, please sign up. Um, Ed, if you could put the link up. Um, it, yes, it'll be uh, on awesome. the show notes. So you can always it's www.thirstgroup.org slash get involved um and basically you'll just get probably one email a week with updates and then once we actually get the legislation on the floor with our lawyers um you'll basically be on a petition that shows that you're supporting this clause and i want to hammer that home because this is people keep asking me like you know, there's this perception of busyness, right? Like, cause we're doing curbside at one of our places. So he's like four cars and people are like, Oh, it's so great. You're busy. I'm like, are you crazy? I laid off 25 employees, you know, and four cars won't even fill up a table. And you know, I've got all these empty tables. And I said, so, but people ask and it's, it's very genuine. Like, what can I do to help? And I said, we're past, we're past buying merchandise. We're past coming in and gift cards. Those things help, you know, a few hundred bucks in the pockets of the employees a little bit. What we need now is reform. We need legislative reform. And that's why we need voices. That's what's helpful now. Because if we, again, if we ignore it, there won't be anything to go to. And so while we appreciate, I'm not saying don't come in and, and, and or go to your uh, local watering hole, buy a drink, get a gift card. Those things are helpful in the short term, but it's not a repair. The fix is to be heard. And that's thirst is one of the avenues in which we, I think it's going to be very important heading forward. There's a lot of noise out there and a lot of people trying to do good, but spinning wheels. And I've seen Thirst pick up a lot of speed um, since its kind of inception. Actually, you know, I I say inception. Is this, was it created for this or has it been around? This is new. Um, Okay. Yeah. As of April. Yeah. So, but I've seen you guys. Mm -hmm. So in April, and here we are four months later now, how do people get involved if they are in a state where there is no involvement um, as far as on the, on that state level, if they're not already onboarded? Um, how does like a restaurant owner become like what you did? Yeah. You know, you guys were not involved in this. I mean, how did you get into it? Well, Nate called us both. Um, okay. Uh, he didn't know me, but he knew a good friend of mine, uh, Aaron Pollock, who is um, a fantastic yep. longtime bartender. Yeah, yeah. So um, Aaron suggested that he call me um, and then he reached out to Eric as well. Um, I would say if you're in a state that doesn't have any representation yet, sign up immediately. Let us start to see, right, where interest is coming on a state-by-state level. And then we can um, we can reach out and try, because we're, we're basically what we're looking for are community organizers, right? So Eric and I are organizing kind of Illinois from a, from a big 
like, you know, from, from the top kind of, um, but what we're trying to do is find other people to organize more locally. Um, so if you want to be that person in a state, right. If you're like, yeah, I'm in, you know, I'm in Idaho. You don't have it going on yet. Let me, let me take care of that and start to, to, to put it together. Reach out to us and we'll reach out to you. If that makes sense. Like we, we need both. We need people signing up so we can see what states are interested and want things. Um, and then we can, we can try and find people as well. This is really like a networking, like I keep saying grassroots, but it really is. This is the people organizing the way that they can with each other. Um, so I think we just need everybody to realize that we're out there, reach out to us. We'll be looking for you. And I know that one of the issues with a lot of people like myself that are in ownership, because we are working so many hours, we kind of see like, Oh, another organization where we want to be involved, right? Yeah. Like we want to donate time. So what kind of a time commitment is it for people in those States or for yourselves? You know, how much, how many hours a week are you guys spending, you know, kind of working, getting the word out, onboarding people? Um, you know, because, I know people can get scared off by that and then never actually find out that it's not a 70 hour a week job. It's kind of uh, what you make of it. Right. Um, Kim and myself, we put a little bit more in just cause we are the state organizer. So I, you know, still have a full-time job I'm grateful for. Um, but you know, I'm doing evenings um, where I'm reaching out and I'm easily doing, you know, probably about 14 hours a week, but for community organizers, right. it could just be a phone call a week. Um, and then, you know, in their free time, or if they know somebody that knows somebody, just get them signed up. Like right now, my first community mm-hmm. organizer, I'm tasking him with getting 50 new signups. And then as soon as we get another community signer, it's going to, you know, 50 more signups. Um, it, it is what you make of it. And so, you know, we're yeah. happy to have you. Um, if you just sign up and that's all you can do, we're grateful. If you want to give more time, talk to myself or Kim, if you're within Illinois, or we'll get you in front of the state organizer for your state. Um, volunteer to become a community organizer where you could start to actually network with other business owners in specific districts that have legislation on the insurance boards. And then we'll get you set up from there. So I think, uh, well, we know the answer. What happens if this doesn't go anywhere? We're spinning wheels. We've already seen some traction, you know, on state by state government. You said there's a couple of uh, pieces of legislation mm-hmm. in, in New York and uh, perhaps California, if I remember correctly. Yep. Uh, I don't ha- I don't have the prolific notes that, that Marsh has. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what are we facing if, if worst case scenario happens? Because I think we're facing some pretty bad stuff coming. Right. I think in the fall um, we're running out of money and we're going to. Well, another issue I talked about earlier, I said, you know, the two things we got to worry about is, you know, uh, the money running out and then um, closing the patios. But as flu season hits, we all have to take this very, very seriously. And so every person that gets a sniffle closes the restaurant for a week. Right. So, I mean, if we have somebody come in um, and and they've got the flu, I mean, how do you tell the difference between a flu and coronavirus um, by looking at them? Right. So then you just kind of have to assume the worst. And so these, these things are coming. That's not a secret. We're seeing large spikes across the United States. Um, and so if we're in that boat again, where does that put us with insurance and the fight against, you know, these clauses? I, I think, I think you heard it right there. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, yeah. And yeah. because of that and because of the lack of, um, I guess, foresight by the government in regards to what is going to happen. Um, that's why, you know, we're spending as much time as we are trying to get more activation and community organizers out there to spread the word. Um, just because that, that pivot, that crucial point coming in the fall winter where the patio is closed and revenue will go down even further, um, is right around the corner. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been a tough year, obviously, um, for this industry because of the fact that the PPP um, and the EIDL didn't really hit where they needed to hit. Right. Um, it was a total mess of a rollout, um, you know, expecting to pay or to spend so much of it on just payroll doesn't make sense for an industry like ours. Um, right. So many people couldn't even get the money. We know that mm-hmm. a lot of bigger businesses got big chunks of that money. Um, and, you know, we don't want to live in a world where that's the only restaurant and bar option yep. for you, right? Is it that you can only, only the chains are left? Come on. Like small businesses are the backbone of this country and, and, and uh, not having them is going to be absolutely devastating in, in so, so many ways. But yeah, but this is almost like, this is it. This is like the Hail Mary trying to get mm. this, this coverage, right? Because the amount of businesses that could have been in, either saved completely or in much better positions, right? If they had gotten paid out once the shutdown happened, I mean, it's an enormous, enormous amount of money that's just gone. I talked to, I'll leave his name out of it, uh, just because I don't know if I'm supposed to quote this or not. But I talked to a, a restaurant owner friend of mine who pays like, you know, over $30,000 a year uh, in premiums every year and said that, you know, if he they had projected sales and he had been paid out, right, and saying like, okay, well, you guys are going to miss like all of 2020 and maybe into the spring of 2021, talking like $3 right. million dollars that he could have gotten paid out, which means wow. all of his employees would have been fine, yep. which means he could have kept the, the lights on and the rent paid, um, not been sitting on, you know, inventory that would cause loss that, that everybody would have been a okay, you know? And like, that's that trickle down effect yeah. of all those yes. ancillary business. Like you're talking yes. to the landlords, the yes. insurance companies, the, the guys that wash the towels, you know, like it, it ripples outside of just, you know, your server, the bartender, the owner. Right. And so, you know, like you said, this is the Hail Mary. Do you, you anticipate this becoming, um, I, and I know I'm asking you to speculate <laughs> a lot, but, you know, it, because it's been very difficult up to this point in, in any number of years for any number of issues to kind of coalesce the, um, the restaurant group into, into one, um, as far as the independence in, in this country, that this perhaps uh, is a pathway to kind of solidifying us as a more operative entity and being able to lobby Congress on to behalf. I, mean, I know there's associations so. out there like National Restaurant Association, but you know, um, a lot of them get mired in politicism so much. Mm-hmm. And actually it's funny, literally, I'm not kidding you. As we're sitting here talking about it, I just got a text message from one of my cooks that is off work sick. And so he was waiting his COVID test. Oh God. Um, actually I should get this <laughs> like, oh, man. Uh, he's fine. Yay. Okay. All right. All right. Good, good, good. It was a flu, but again, it was a flu that had to be treated as, That's right. you know, COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as we, I, I, I think that it's, there's a real opportunity that I haven't seen um, with any or very many other um, associations that, that thirst group definitely is bringing people on and that all are moving in the same direction where we, could become a more powerful lobby. Correct. And, and, I mean, and, I really hope so. And I was going to say, you know, it, it's been kind of doom and gloom for everybody in the hospitality field the last few months. The one positive thing that I could kind of like relate or throw out a metaphor is that I love bars and restaurants because they bring people together. And what we're trying to do at Thirst is bring all of our friends and family in the hospitality field together to lead and lend a bigger voice at the legislative table to actually cause a change for the good on something that was kind of done haphazardly without knowing, you know, I mean, yeah. you talk to any other business owner, they don't know how it operates, you know, at a 10% margin point, you know, like, Oh yeah. We, when we had our initial conversation, you're like, what they're operating on a 30% margin. Like that's insane. 
um, they, they just don't I, know, you know? I and know. so if yeah, we could bring everybody know. together, amplify the voice and actually cause some change, that's our goal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I certainly hope that we can kind of bring that around and that's what ends up coming out of this. Um, I going to make sure that all these links are on the show notes. If you're listening to this and it's a year from now, still find out hopefully everything's all good and we all got paid out and we're all in great shape (laughs) um so you can skip this episode then uh but you know uh but even still i think it's worth kind of finding the information looking it up to see um you know where we stand today because i don't think this is going to be a short battle uh i think it's going to be very prolonged i mean anybody knows it's ever crashed their car yeah right that's the other thing that i kind of want to point out to people is like look we are we're going to do the absolute best we can but people do need to realize this is a strange year to be going through these major changes. It's an election year, not just, you know, nationally, right? But we're talking like on local levels. So that means you might, you know, it might take some extra time, you know, um, if you're going to have people coming in and out. Um, you might have more sympathetic voices coming in. You never know. We could hope so, right? But that means that we have to fight that much harder, right? That we have to stay on this and say like, look, we're not going away. We're coming together on this. And and insurance obviously is the focus for thirst group. But I think you're right when you talk about like, um, you know, just independent bars and restaurants kind of coming together and amplifying their voices in ways that hadn't been happening before, right? Like we all know that there are a lot of issues in our industry and people have been working to address them, right? Whether it's um, wage issues, whether it's sexism, whether it's racism. Uh, but we know that we can be an amazing home for people, right? For, for great um, opportunities um, for employment and for connection, right? For those of you who are joining us on the other side of the bar, um, why we can't stop. We have to do better. We have to do better. We have to work together. And so making sure that we all care for one another and that we fight to have a, a seat at the table, right? And that we're not just kind of like left in the dust as the big interests get what they need. Like, this can't happen anymore. Like we, we have to keep it going. Right. And you said this is an election year. I mean, yes, it can make things a little bit trickier and slow things down when everybody, all the politicians are nervous to fall on one side of the aisle or another for fear of not getting reelected. But that's precisely what makes this year so important. Like it's a unique opportunity that we have to force them to answer these questions and, and speak to policy that maybe they hadn't thought of before. Absolutely. Uh, We certainly, uh, you know, this year has brought a lot of questions and, and provided uh, us a glimpse into even larger issues within the industry, you know, like insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Not sexy, but necessary. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think that's was the the main reason I wanted to bring you on because it's, uh, it's a, it's a goofy thing to spend an hour talking about. um, And we don't like it any more than, you know, the people on the other side of the bar, but you know, we, we at least need to make sure that the word is out and people understand how to get involved. And like I said, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. People ask constantly, how can we help? This is how you help. Please look up the links. Uh, you know, if you're just kind of outside of the business and you want to lend 10 minutes, please, you know, the petitions help. All of it helps. Um, one extra voice lends, um, you know, and a, a voice that we, we weren't able to get otherwise, you know, especially with our limited contact with the public now, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's hard to get the word out when we don't see that many people and we're not operating as one entity. So this is as good of an effort as I've seen anywhere. And I'm so happy that you two are involved with this because you guys are fantastic. And, you know, I haven't even called you Dr. Klinger one time. 
<laughs> you, you, you don't have to, but, uh, but, uh, but I do. Are you kidding me? It. If I had a PhD, I would make everybody call me doctor. Are you kidding me? You know, when After I, all that work, <laughs> when I, when I first got it, I was working at Espita in Washington, DC. Shout out to my, my oh, family. Yay. Yeah. So, uh, all of our names are on the cocktail menu and we printed a new one and, uh, and, uh, Josh and Megan put Dr. Kim Clinger on there. And I was like, Oh my God. Like it was so sweet. You it know was, what? It was so funny to have guests be like, I so think I remember. S- you remember seeing I that? I think I remember seeing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've spoken very highly about Aspita on the show numerous times. Oh yeah. You know, I've, one of my favorite places. I love Megan. I know she's no longer there anymore. No, but she's um, working but- with us with thirst group. So and um, Bismarck became ah, a close friend of mine, love uh, and so I I still talk to Biz. And then uh, actually, I went out with the kitchen crew maybe about a year and a half ago. Oh well, hell yeah! Uh, and I don't remember everybody's name, but they got me destroyed. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Like I don't. We were just all I remember is them dropping me off somewhere in Logan Circle, and I was like, "Which way is my Airbnb? <laughs> like, Come back with us." I'm like, "No, thank." Well, and then um, that's awesome. Well, yeah, and there was another guy, long hair, um, Ed, and he's related mm-hmm. to someone, Ed's out in somebody's LA cousin, or yeah, yeah. So was he related to Bismarck? I can't remember. Or, I, I don't know. There's some sort of know, really, but... there was like a whole team that was there that like it was just such a great My family, dudes. and I haven't yeah. been there for a while. Yeah, that's fantastic. I probably met you back then, and I just didn't I, even probably know I was only there part time in the beginning. I was teaching at the time too, and I was like, well, I'm making peanuts. So yeah, here we are. Um, oh, that's awesome. but anyway, but thanks for the, thanks for the shout out. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So we'll put everything up there. It's awesome to talk to you guys. I wish we yeah. had some better, you know, more fun things to discuss, but we'll ha- certainly do that at a later date when we can do so safely. We don't have to do it over a laptop. That'd be great. And, um, we can share some drinks <laughs> yeah. and hopefully we all got paid out. Yeah. And so, um, you know, good luck to you, Kimberly. I know you're in the business as well, still on the, um, behind the bar yep. and Eric, you're, you're supplying yep. us, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. helping us sell all the wonderful, uh, I know you through, uh, mm-hmm. worthy park rums. Um, and so, yeah, that I met you through, through Zan. So, um, shout out to, to everybody. It was, it was just his that. birthday, I think yesterday. So yeah, he, that's right. Mm-hmm. He turned 38. I was like, I didn't realize he right. was so young. It makes me feel like I haven't accomplished. Anything it must be yet. the rum. It, it, you know, I won't use him well. <laughs> <laughs> the Jamaican son might have something to do with that as well. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you again so much. And please reach out to me. Um, I'm going to reach out and get some contact info from you guys via email as well to see if I can uh, make some connections that I think would be beneficial. That for would be amazing. That And that's honestly, that's that's another thing that we are looking for, right? Sign up, but like, let's hook up. Let's everybody make connections. I know this person. I know this owner. I know this person in this state who wants to get involved. We could just like make this network as big as possible. And thank you so much for amplifying our voice on your podcast. Yeah. It's been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for the platform. Yeah. Merch, I'll see you guys soon. I'll get to Chicago soon. I promise. Yeah, please do. Awesome. Take Cheers. care, bud. Thanks.